believe the round beach towel wasn't a thing until just six years ago? Like, how did that not get invented decades ago? (laughs) Well, stop wondering, because you're about to meet the creator who's already sold 120,000 of them. It's a very beachy episode 464 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I say welcome to the Small Business Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of salty marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner itching to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire that it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly why this podcast exists. But if it's not enough for you, you can also grab a copy of my popular marketing book, The Boomerang Effect, written with you in mind over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Big episode today. We meet Victoria Beatty, who used to be a bank teller in a seaside village. Then her sister tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey Vic, let's produce a round beach towel. (laughs) Vic said, hell yeah. And the rest is absolute history. Another highly motivated listener reminds us of the power of partnerships and as a result wins over a thousand bucks worth of prizes in this week's monster prize draw. And I tackle a listener's question all about trust. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did someone say something? You know what that means. It's time for another business building tip to wow those precious clients are yours. And as usual, all the way from the City of Angels, we're joined by our Chief WOW Officer, Steve Sims, who's the author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. How are you, Simsy? I'm lovely. Thank you for asking. Mate, now, before you share your WOW tip for this week, I am fascinated. You have got Sir Richard Branson coming up on your podcast. How did that happen? Well, we've actually been part of Virgin for many years. We've supported the Virgin uh, brand, Virgin Unite, uh, the uh, the Casbah Foundation, which is Eve Branson, his mum's foundation. So we've done a lot with them and the uh, the charities around them. And we had an event going off in uh, Canada that they actually asked us to get Sir Richard to come along to. So we reached out, we contacted him, and he agreed to come out. And I said to him, look, we've done a lot of things together. But we've never done a podcast, and the instant response was, "Well, I don't do podcasts." I said, "Well, that's just a that's just a challenge, you know. I've got to find a way of you saying yes." So, you know, talked it through, and eventually agreed that he would do a do a podcast for me. What, so I'm what, what did quite that conver- pleased. What did that conversation sound like? You don't do podcasts. I mean, I would take that as a no from Sir Richard. What? How did you turn him around? I think a no really is just a gauntlet to see how good you are at getting a yes. Um, so if you're, if you're easily swayed by a no, then I'm not sure you're an entrepreneur, but as entrepreneurs, we hear people say no. And really what they're doing is they're trying to say yes, but they're just asking us to give them permission to say yes. So, you know, when he said, I don't do, I don't do a podcast, I was like, well, you know, that's. That's just a past tense. That's just telling me something that you didn't do. Doesn't mean you're not going to do it in the future. You know, you wouldn't say, I'm never doing that in the future because, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurs, we don't do that. So given that kind of permission, I said, look, there's always got to be an open. There's always got to be a possibility. There's always got to be a chance it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Of which he said, yeah, there's a chance. Well, let's make that chance in June in Canada with me. Now, your greatest, so- your greatest challenge, Simsy, with Sir Richard is that he has been interviewed, probably one of the more interviewed people in the world. Uh, huh? What are you going to ask him that's going to be any different to what he's already been asked? I'm not. Uh, what I did yesterday, <laughs> I actually, and you're right, you know, it's one of those things where, although he hasn't done podcasts, you're right, he's not exactly been shy to the camera um, or to the microphone. Mm-hmm. So in which case, you suddenly go, well, okay, I've got it now, but what can I ask that's scintillating, stimulating, different, that's actually going to drag a proper, not pre-scripted answer out of him? 
So I went on to my social feeds yesterday and I announced, look, if you could ask Richard Branson one question, what would it be if I like it? I'll ask it. I may even give you a shout out during the podcast. So I, th- I think I'm probably at about 200 oh, there you questions go. at the moment. I, um, I loved, I think the first, your first mate who responded to that question on your, your Facebook was, why on earth would he want to be interviewed by you was the question. <laughs> <laughs> I love Steve it. Steve Olshley, yeah. Yeah, I think... I think that's probably got to be in there somewhere. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'd start yeah, that with did that. actually make me laugh. Now, buddy, uh, we are here to help our wonderful listeners who are all business owners wow the precious clients that they have. What's your tip for this week? Well, it's easy because when you actually uh, get a client and it may have come through a friend, it may have come through a referral, there's this often uh, feeling in you that to actually turn around and go, hey, thank you. And you should. You should have that reason there to say thank you for people giving you business. Um, Even if someone's done something with you and you want to thank them by giving them a tip, never allow that tip to come in the form of a check. Have it come in the form of an experience. You see, here it goes. Someone gives you a client or someone does something for you that enables you to have a fantastic experience. You turn around and you go, oh, great. Thanks a lot. Here's 500 bucks. And they go, thank you. And then they pay their car. They pay the school fees. They pay the electric bill. They pay a bill with it. In six months time, you ask them, hey, do you remember I gave you 500 bucks? And they'll go, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I do. What did you spend it on? And they're not going to remember. So instead of actually giving them $500, find out what kind of food they like, get a restaurant in the area that's supposed to be reputed as really good, and prepay for the meal. And then go, hey, I know you like Thai food. There's a new Thai food restaurant just down the road from you. I bought you a table for the night. Go in there, eat to your heart's content. It's all covered. Now, here's two things that's going to happen. One, you've created an experience because you show you've listened and you care about them. But you know the funny thing that's going to benefit your pocket? That meal's probably going to end up costing you maybe half of what the $500 (laughs) was. Yes, correct, correct. And, and, you know... But they will never forget. And the thing, too, is that we live in an experience economy. I mean, look at you with Bluefish. You've been providing experiences for however many years. and 20 plus, yeah. 20 plus years. And the thing with an experience is they're emotional. And, you know, emotional things sit with us for a very, very long time. So I like that one. I like that one. They're going to trigger up. When they walk past a Thai restaurant and they smell some good Thai food, they're going to remember Simsy that sent them into that Thai restaurant and treated them for the night where they were treated well. They ate all they like. They stood up, walked out without even looking at the tab. Love it. Uh, Now, Simsy, great tip. I forgot to ask you, when is that Branson interview going live? Because that's also a bit of wow in that. Is that like in a month's time? You got a date? It is. It's June. It's June the 10th. We do the interview. We'll probably come out latter part of June on the podcast. Awesome. And the podcast is called The Art of Making Things Happen. It's, It's the second best podcast in the world. Well, there you go. Another killer way to make your precious clients go wow. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Do you know, I've been selling a truckload of my book lately, The Boomerang Effect. Uh, something's going on, which is a great thing for me and a great thing for those of you who are buying it. If you don't know what The Boomerang Effect is all about, it is when you are so helpful in your marketing that it returns multiples. And those multiples could be more warm inquiry, more sales, maybe more media coverage, more website traffic. You just don't know, but it's all about being helpful in your marketing. If you want to copy and the idea of generating warm leads through smart marketing interests you, then head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and click on the book tab. Right now, though, and much more importantly, let's meet Victoria Beatty, who, along with her big sister, Emma, are the inventors of the round beach towel. Yes, you heard it right. The roundy, they call it. Now, before you go, who needs a round beach towel? Get this. The Beach People, that's their company, employs 22 staff, has offices in Australia and the US of A, manufactures in eight countries, has over 600 stores carrying their products, of which there are now many, many products, and they have sold a whopping 120,000 round beach towels. Roundies. (laughs) Great. It's just such a great Australian story in the making. So pull up a bit of sand, lay down your towel, 
don't get any sand on it. I hate when you get sand on your towel. And get ready to take notes as Victoria shares where the idea for the roundy came from, how they got it to market, how they broke into the US market, how they have broadened their, how and why they've broadened their range into homewares. I sort of question whether that was a good idea, but I think she may have proved me uh, that, it, that it is, and so much more. Hey, and stay tuned after the interview, as Victoria has kindly given us a 20% store-wide discount um, across all the Beach People's range for small business big marketing show listeners. I started off by asking her why it took so long for someone to invent the round beach towel. <laughs> oh, I, that's a good question. I just think it's one of those things that was there but not there. Um, and my sister is actually the one who I credit the idea to and to know her is to, <laughs> um, to know someone that thinks completely outside the box or the rectangle in this, <laughs> in this case. So I think Emma um, is just incredibly creative and just thinks differently to anyone else I know. So I think it just came to her one day. But it just seems bizarre, doesn't it? I mean, to me, really, it seems like something that should have been invented, I don't know, at the start of the Industrial Revolution, if not before. Yeah. It's like, do you feel, like, mean, do you feel that? Yes, there was definitely round beach towels in the 70s and 80s, so they were out there. Mm. But when we when we went to market, there wasn't a single company trading in the world with, with them. So I think they just hadn't been touched in maybe 10, 20 years. Yeah, okay. I, I just had the idea, maybe I need to patent this before I share it. Oh, I'll throw caution to the wind. What's wrong with a square beach towel? It's kind of we a, do them, Tim. We have don't, them. Don't. That was <laughs> so, my idea. <laughs> after, and I can't believe it. We, after four years with the round towel, we actually um, started doing what we call a travel towel. We had some feedback that the round yes. towel was quite heavy, and it is. It's one point three kilos, and when you put it in the wash, it, you know it's it's quite dominating. So we invented a lightweight but quick drying travel towel that's actually a square. So it doubles as a picnic blanket. You can take it on the plane as a throw, and then when you travel, it's your towel and it dries overnight quite easily in a hotel room. Um, yeah, so we, we actually invented me, that one. Yeah, really? So like no one yeah. had invented the square beach towel? No one had done it. Okay. Someone, I think smart product developers um, will see that we have secured every IP trademark that there is around all these textiles. So it's really restrictive for anyone else to come after us. But if um, there was one brand doing an OV, which is an oval towel uh, instead of a roundy, um, but they obviously didn't last the summer. Well, I'm going to do the triangular towel and <laughs> I'm going to contact Pink Floyd and its first branding yeah. is going to be the dark side of the moon. Is any, surely no one's done that. No one's done that. Okay. Oh, I do love that album. I do too. I do. Don't, please don't steal that idea. You've got the round and the square. Just give you me the, tri- the triangle. I thing. can have the triangle. And can I have the octagon? Because I think there's room for an octagon. Hey, I'm getting silly now. What about uh, the, when the idea came to your sister? What were you two doing and how did it come about? So, Emma, my sister was on maternity leave with her firstborn and um, – she had a beautiful baby who slept well and was very content. And to be honest, she got a bit bored um, at home. So she was at home. I came over one day and she said that she had watched the entire season of the Kardashians and she'd painted her toenails. And I said, oh, sis, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. And um, so she was a stay-at-home mum and I was working at the bank. Uh, where we live is a very small rural town and you kind of take whatever job you can get just to live here. So I can't say that banking was my passion, um, but I was very, very happy to live in the Northern Rivers, live close to home across the border on daylight savings time. So that's why I sort of worked there. Um, so both of us weren't really in our dream jobs or anything like that. Um, so the allure of running our own business was um, very attractive. And okay, so you're both in, you're both slightly bored. Uh, yeah. Were you is the idea is running a small business in your family tree, or is everyone? Oh yeah, yeah, so it is. I, um, both sides, everyone is in business in my family. Ah. Um, my parents have run small business and done property development my entire life. I think my dad was taking me to the accountant from when I was ten, and so. <laughs> I knew how to read a PL and a balance sheet all through high school. In fact, I used to report to my dad on those things. So I it's not unusual at our family gatherings for those 
things to get passed around and handed out. So even though I'd never studied business, I had been in small business with my parents for my whole life, it feels. Mm -hmm. And my aunties, my grandma, um, everyone's in business, mostly retail, um, some hospitality and um, tourism and different things. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Vic, so Emma's painted her toenails, watched the entire <laughs> season of the Kardashians. Is she then just throwing ideas at you or was there really A little just bit. Sort of, yeah. yeah. So Emma's very creative. So all her ideas are based on what she enjoys sort of doing and I, whereas I'm more numbers and figures based. So she came to me and said, I think I'm going to go to Bali and get 50 round towels made. Um, do you want to come with me to Bali? And I said, well, if you sell those 50, you'll probably cover your flights. What is this? Like, why, why don't we just go to Bali for a holiday? And um, and she said, oh, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, if we want to do this and create an income, this is what it needs to look like. And it just went not – it didn't go over her head at all, but it just wasn't what she was thinking. And I said, well, you know, should we do an actual business? And we'd been in business together with our parents on and off over our lives. So – we knew we worked well together and um, we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses and knew our place if we were going to do it. But we also knew that if we did do it, it was going to be um, give it everything we got. Mm-hmm. So it took us a few months to really decide and we even drew up like a legal contract um, just to protect our relationship and then really went head first. And that was in the beginning of 2013 that we registered the name and, and started the company. When you say you drew up a legal contract to, to protect your relationship between you and your sister. Yeah. What, what so does that, my, what's my that look like? My parents recommended that and they said, oh, we'll um, just draw up what it looks like. So from the very beginning, we made sure we, um, to this day, we don't keep track of who does how many hours or anything like that. It's just an even split. And all those kinds of conversations we had early just to make sure the expectation was there. I mean, Emma's got more children than me, me, um, isn't always as available. But, you know, we just decided from the beginning that it was an even split. Um, We were going to carry the business equally and be available to the business, just whatever it took. And we had that all written up. Clearly, you want to protect the relationship you have with your sibling. That's more important than any business you're going to start. How do you actually, outside of you know a contract, a contract in writing? I mean, there'd be times when you probably are working double the hours, or Emma's working. Yeah. Does it balance out? There's sometimes you're looking out the side of your eye, going, "Em, yeah, yeah. I want to step it yeah, up." There's been moments, but um, now that I'm on the mummy train, it's kind of all working itself out in the wash. Um, but we. Uh, just to be honest, we we get along really, really well mm-hmm. and we resolve any conflict very quickly. Like if we have an argument, which is rare, I don't think our staff have ever seen us argue, mm-hmm. um, but if we do have an argument, it's pretty quick and over. We don't really hold, um, hold on to anything. So, And then it's done and we don't bring nice. it back up and then you move on to the next day. And so- I think that's the biggest thing is if you are in a – relationship um, in business to have what I call like a, sh- a short account. So if there is an issue, you just bring it up and just get it out. And often, uh, I don't know, we, women aren't great at that. We often just say we're fine, but we're not. But my sister and I, you know exactly how each of us are feeling um, on the spot. We'll let each other know and then we just move on. That's awesome. So so yeah. Emma's gone, I, I'm going to go to Bali, get 50 round towels designed <laughs> and manufactured. Yeah. Um, you said, well, why? That's just that's just going to cover costs. Did you, yeah. was it a bigger, did you, did you go to Bali? Did you get a quantity of towels manufactured to start with? Such a good question, Tim. We actually um, couldn't find anyone in the entire world um, that could produce a round towel. <laughs> Why? So, yeah, Why? We, uh, we ended up in China and there was right. probably about three factories that had a screen printing press big enough to do a round towel that you could actually fit on uh-huh. at the beach. And our first price came back at $90 cost. So for us to retail it, it'd be up around the 390 or something crazy. And I thought no one's going to buy a towel for that. Mm-hmm. So we took a year to find someone to make us a towel. And I think the first order we placed was, um, I think, for 500 units. Okay. Just understanding that, uh, Vic, so when you have an idea like that and you are going all over the world trying to find um, a manufacturer, uh, I'm guessing that's what you're looking for. You guys have done the design. How do you protect this so that someone doesn't go, oh, we can't do it, and the next thing you know, they've done it? Yeah, I think that... Um, 
I'm not sure. I'm sure there's better people to probably answer this, but I think I've been in product development for six years now and we've produced maybe 30 to 40 brand new to market products. And what I notice about um, mainly in China, they're hesitant to try new things. So I don't think they want to be the people to test it. Mm -hmm. So I think you're pretty safe for like a year to 18 months. You're very trusting then. Yeah. We, that you cannot compete with intellectual property law in China. It just doesn't work. So mm-hmm. you have to approach it that they will, um, it's nothing personal, but they will try and undercut you. They will try and sell your product under your nose. They will, it, it's kind of like if they do the dodgy and get away with it, they've had that, that's success mm-hmm. to them. They're, they're corrupt. They lie. They just lie to you. <laughs> but right. they, yeah, it's just, you've got to be prepared to handle that if you want to produce product in China. Hello to all my Chinese listeners. Lao Shi Zhao, that's all I know in Chinese, hello. Um, it's, just, it's just not, um, it's not personal. You've yeah, got to okay. take it like that. Okay, but so, so, yeah. but you, because I do get a lot of people approach me saying, look, I've got an idea I really want to share with you. Would you sign this non disclosure agreement that goes for about 800 pages? I'm like, no, I'm, I can't really sign that because I'm not going to read it. And it's like, so there yeah. is a lot of hesitation of with people. With yeah. ideas, and your your advice, it sounds like, is you've just got to go for it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> First to market? We actually had um, – we've had designs leaked before we've even had final samples. So, um, hmm. we, yeah, we, we did a collaboration with Ace Hotel in America and I found the towel on eBay before oh. I had the towel. So I just – you just don't um, – I just don't let it get to me and mm. I just keep going. And I think as you build momentum as a brand, people are always going to see you as the authentic original. But it's such a tricky topic. There's so yes. many different scenarios that could outplay. And I think for your own well-being, you have to be prepared for all of them. Yeah. You have to be prepared that you might never get your stock you paid for. Like that's happened to us before. You have to be prepared that after a second order, the entire order might be faulty because they've tried to pull a Swifty and switch your cotton quality or something like that. That's happened to us before. You, every single thing that could possibly happen in product development um, has in, happened to us. In China. And I think you just need to, like, no amount of legal documents is going to help you when the realities of that happen. Like, you can go and get all the non-disclosures signed in the world, mm-hmm. but when it happens, that's not going to help you because there's different laws over there. Mm. So, so uh, yeah, it can cover yeah. you in Australia, but it won't cover you in China. And yet China is the best place to have stuff manufactured like round towels. Yeah, there's, you couldn't get them made anywhere else. Okay. Uh, you could, but they'd be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and no one would buy them, so you wouldn't want to. But we, we actually manufacture in um, – I have a really great relationship with all of our manufacturers. Uh, it's, uh, it's just tricky. Like you've, you've got to constantly um, just QC and have yeah. someone you trust on the ground there just monitoring it because um, so, so things you, happen. You have – you get 500 made – uh, yeah. In your first batch, what do you do with them? You have, um, have you got a website? Have you got a shop? Have you got a so wholesale? We actually started on Instagram um, in the golden era of Instagram when <laughs> it was so easy to reach people. So we innocently started an Instagram of just lifestyle imagery and a few of our products. My sister ran it. And I think when we the stock was about a month away, we went to pre-order. We said, if anyone wants one of these, they're coming in a month. And we sold out of most of that first drop in two weeks. It blew our blew our minds because I obviously being a numbers girl, I'd run like a break even analysis and a risk analysis, and I said to Emma, "Worst case, this is what we're going to lose." <laughs> I'd covered it all, and then we sold out, and then it was on. So it was eighteen months of being on pre order, and people were waiting like six weeks for their towel um, to receive it, and we were just getting as much made as we could and trying to finance it because um, growth is really hard to finance. How did you finance it? My parents. Oh, bless them. <laughs> but I paid them back. Good on <laughs> so them. So I, um, I think I borrowed 60000 from them in that first year and paid them back that summer. And since then, we've done two rounds of capital raising. If your parents hadn't have given you the dough, what would you have done? Well, no banks would look at us. We didn't even have one P&L under our belt. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm fortunate, fortunate to have friends in business all around me with a bit of cash, so I probably would have asked someone. Or crowdfunded? Yeah, yeah. I actually, at the time, I didn't even think about crowdfunding. I don't think, it was seven years ago now, I don't think it was as 
easy not, as no, it is now. No, not as prolific or as well accepted yeah, as it is yeah. now. But we could have probably crowdfunded from our audience because people were willing to pay and wait for the stock. So it was just that exponential growth. Um, you know, my first order was like 25000 and within six months my PO was up to 250000 And I just couldn't I, – I just was working out of my spare room and I just couldn't comprehend those figures. It was really overwhelming. Tell me about the feeling you have. Can you cast your, yourself back to those days? Was it scary? Was it exciting? Was it nerve-wracking? Just adrenaline pumping yeah. every day. It was a lot for my little my little body to handle. <laughs> Just even we were so strapped for cash, I was actually driving. A, I got a truck license and I used to go up to the port in Brisbane and get our stock in a truck myself and unload the container at port. I don't think I'd seen anything like it. And so I was literally... Yeah, up, and I was still working because I couldn't afford a salary. So I was still working at a cafe at this time. And What, um, happened, to, what happened to the bank? They, well, they, they wouldn't give me <laughs> – no. I was opening a cafe at 5 a.m., finishing <sighs> at 1 p.m., and then working in my business till nighttime. Right. And that way I could, you know, pay rent. And um, so we – yeah, it was just a lot and sort of running it all myself because in hindsight I should have hired some staff and got some cash and, you know mm-hmm. – Um, supported the growth. But at the time, I was just nervous. I saved up six months of wages before I hired that first person. I wanted to be able to confident to say I could pay them. So now now I'm a little more comfortable in my, at my desk and a little more comfortable in my skin. And um, yeah. I'm guessing... yeah, I just didn't expect it to last. I was like, is this going to last? Really? <laughs> really? You just thought this is, you you, you know, you, people are loving it right now, but it's not something that p- this is going to be an ongoing business. You really felt like that? Yeah, up until Why? like maybe four years ago, my sister and I, every time we released something, we were nervous, are people going to like it? Mm-hmm. And now we've realised that they love it and they love the things we produce. So there's more confidence. Um, and we research and we find out what's on the market and where what gaps we can fill. Um but yeah, it is. It's nerve wracking um, mm. being a, tre- a trend luxury based product. I mean, people don't have to buy our things; they choose to because they think it's going. You know, they feel it's going to enhance their beach experiences and things like that. But you know, we're not bread and butter; we're luxury items. So it is nerve wracking. <laughs> Speaking of nerve wracking, at what point, Vic, did the copycats come along? I imagine it oh, wouldn't have been too long. That was our second summer. Um, they caught up and it was wild. We had up to 80 brands at any one time on our watch list that our IP attorney was watching and and in legal discussions with. And it was brutal. We got absolutely hammered. <laughs> oh, what, what do you do? Do you lose sleep or do you just let the attorney do it? I mean, having a legal attorney watching 80 brands is not cheap. No, it was very, very, very expensive, and um, even securing all of our intellectual property was very expensive because there's no you can't fight them unless you can prove mm-hmm. the IP. So, um, yeah, it was like mid six figures that financial year between our oh, no. IP bills and our legal bills. But a lot of it, um, a lot of those branches didn't last because they were imitators, and imitators don't mm-hmm. often last. But it was the big ones, like the big brands, that I had friends that worked at other brands telling me, oh, your entire product range was on the boardroom table today getting pulled apart and they've put together a strategy to knock you out of the market. <laughs> oh, that's comforting. <laughs> when there's, I've got three staff and I'm working out of my shed. But um, I think we realised that they didn't know what we we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So we had to just look forward. And I got someone in our office to handle the admin side of the legal, so I didn't actually see it. Unless friends told me, which happened a lot too, but I had to remove myself because I yeah, was getting a bit too upset by it. Vic, um, you, uh, you've come a long way. Could you scope the business for us? Give a sense of where the business is at right now. Can you talk, talk yeah, turnover, skews, um, staff? Yeah, we've got uh, about 12 staff here in Australia and about 5 to 10 overseas. And we have offices here on the Gold Coast, um, Southern Gold Coast in Australia and in in Miami and Florida. And we're now manufacturing in about eight countries, so Portugal, Turkey, India, China, Guatemala. And uh, we have about 600 beautiful stores all around the world that carry our collection, including some amazing career highlights like Selfridges and Bergdorf Goodmans and Net-A-Porter. Um, what else? I think we've sold just over 120,000 round towels to date, which was incredible. Um, yeah, so that's where our business is at at the moment. 
and we're comfortable. We're just in our skin. We know who we are and we're just happy producing products, which is the highlight for me. I, I, I'm in awe. Just looked at my producer, Jamie, and we're just like shaking our head. You just reeled yeah. that off. 12 staff here, 10 overseas, office in Miami, Gold Coast, 600 stores carrying your product, 120,000 towels sold. That is awesome. Yeah, it is. That it is, is awesome. awesome. If I had like a button that I could push to play like a, a, a stadium crowd, you know, roaring as Coldplay oh, came out on stage, I'd play it, play it. <laughs> the story always sounds sweeter, like in one sentence, over si- than it does over six I years. I know. The reality is just a lot of bills and emails. But um, yeah, when you look back at the journey, it's pretty incredible. It's nice actually to discuss it because it doesn't get. We, we need to celebrate it more. I think you the do. Day, the day to day sometimes is a little less exciting, uh, <laughs> a little uh, less uh, crowd roaring. <laughs> us, us small business owners are really poor celebrators. You know, I don't know about you. I mean, you've worked in a bank, you've worked in a branch, I've worked in corporate. I mean, you know, if, you know, uh, a courier arrived on time, there'd be a reason to celebrate something in a large business. They just look for celebration. Business owners, small business owners, we just get on with it. So have you ever actually stopped with Emma and the team and had a big, you know, a big do? We do now. So, Every time a launch happens, we, we do stop and have um, – we pop champagne when the container arrives and those <laughs> kinds of things. Um, Emma and I personally, um, I, I'm looking forward to that day where we do actually do something quite extravagant like a holiday or something. Um, one of our investors and Emma and I said that we're going to go um, celebrate New Year's Eve overseas one year when we hit a certain – um, turnover. <laughs> so <laughs> right. that's on the cards. <laughs> uh, Vic, you said you're manufacturing now in eight countries. Yeah, so you, you've yeah. moved on from China. We have, yeah. Right. We've, um, we, we've learned a lot. I absolutely, I am not anti manufacturing in China at all because a lot of the brands that I respect the most still manufacture there and we will probably always have a foot there. But um, a whole bunch of scenarios. So the trade agreement between the US and China has put a huge um, dent in our relationship with them. So mm-hmm. we, uh, yeah, we now try and source most of our cotton and textiles from South America if we can. Um, but then there's tricky things with that because they've sort of been making the same product for generations and we're an innovative brand. So, yeah, we sort of – we go wherever the, the product is best. So for our linen, um, it's French-grown but made in India. For our Turkish towels, they're in Turkey or Portugal. Um, so we sort of go wherever we can get the best quality for what they produce. And often that is China. Now, I'm a simple marketing man, Victoria Beatty, so you'll have yeah. to excuse this next question. Uh, okay. I'm, on your, I'm on your website, thebeachpeople.com.au. Uh, the round towel doesn't feature significantly. In fact, it doesn't feature, yeah, it doesn't feature significantly. You've got, you're now into home, bedding, bath, yes. candles, laundry bags, denim, duvets, cushion. I, why did you decide to go broad and be across all that that huge category, which I imagine is incredibly competitive, versus yeah. deep, which is we are the beach people. We will make your time at the beach the coolest, most comfortable thing you could possibly imagine. Why did you not go that way? Well, there's two reasons. It's winter here, and we needed some trans-seasonal product. Um, that's the logical reason. But the dreamier reason is that Emma and I have always loved home interiors and travel, and so we – we realized early on that so did our audience. So our, our three major areas are travel, home interiors, and beach lifestyle. So we use those three core messaging and um, three lifestyle categories, so to speak, to produce our product. And we had a really beautiful relationship with quite a few suppliers in textiles. So we were like, what other textiles can we do and provide our aesthetic all year round for our audience? And I think our first product was linen bedding and it just went off. So we were like, okay, we've hit we've hit a sweet spot here. Um, I think similar – I think the best way I can describe it is you know how the Hamptons style of, of home really is known throughout the world, but it's this small little town in, in north, northern New York. Yes. Um, we want to be that for the world. We want to, the beach people's style to be touched on every category. Got it. And for people in Central um, North America or in Osaka, in Japan or in Paris, actually have a touch of our product in their homes, even though they might only go to the beach twice a year. 
So how would you describe, what does the, I, I get the Hamptons thing, it's a good analogy, what, what is yeah. the beach people's style when people ask you? We, we say it's understated luxury, so it's beautiful quality, has to be functional, so Emma and I are mums and we're both actually quite outdoorsy and adventurous, so our product has to serve a purpose and have a good functionality to it, but then the understated luxury is probably how mm-hmm. we best describe it. Mm-hmm. We're not flashy. No, no. <laughs> but our product is quality and it's beautiful and you know it's going to last forever. So uh, does that where does that leave the round towel? Does it, it kind of it was it got you where you are? Is it still well, always going to be your flagship ship item? Absolutely. So we <laughs> it's always going to be at the core of our product. So it is on our AU side at the moment, but if you went to our US side, it's front and center. Ah. So their Memorial Day is in 2 days and that oh, it's tomorrow and that is the start of US summer over there. So all of our um, towels are front and center and our marketing over there at the moment. I'm just loading. Is it the beachpeople.com? It's thebeachpeopleco.com. Ah, the beach people. Yeah. Oh, okay. Who, who, out of interest, I'm always fascinated by it, the, the, the addresses people, the URLs people choose. Who had the beach people? Oh, I don't even want to talk about oh, it. Oh, come on. Some guy called Bob. Oh, who, Bob, um, if you're listening, he, yeah, sharpen up, buddy. Bob, sorry about the back and forward, mate. Um, I rang Bob every day for a year about five years ago. <sighs> I still didn't win him over. So he ha- he's just sitting on it. <laughs> he's just sitting on it. That is, how much did he want out of interest? Oh, I, you don't want to know what else. Nah, anyway, gee, it's fine. That's annoying yeah. when people park those kind of domains. I'm, I'm at beach, beachpeopleco.com, not seeing any round towel, I'm not wanting to be picky, just trying to understand the kind of, you know. I wonder, yeah, so the La Plage roundy is our current roundy and it's the second down. That's because oh, we yeah. launched denim this Got week. It. So, Got it. Yeah, but we also found that there was, um, the round towel is always going to be our core and will always be a part of our collection. But we did find that there was a lot of room. We wanted to dominate the entire beach towel market and that required us releasing the travel towels, the um, beach towels, the logo pool towels. So we actually now have, I think, five or six core towels in our mm-hmm. collection and they range from 39 USD up to 99 USD just so we have more variety for people that might want a round, heavy, thick Beach towel. Vic, you've got an office in Miami, which means you've broken into the US market. How'd you do that? Uh, Our manufacturer is actually based there and we had a really great relationship with him and um, we needed a warehouse there. They had one. We needed some office space there and they had one. So we're we're working together and we actually have um, some desks there and our warehouse there, which is something like three times the size of our warehouse here now. (laughs) So, yeah. And, and how, how's the market going over there? Is it working for you? It's great. Yeah, it's good. It's a slow, slower on the uptake because in Australia, we are such beach lovers and so is, you know, California, Miami, even New Yorkers. But um, yeah, it's been a bit harder and slower to tap into, not in the wholesale segment, but in the e-com. I think it's just really noisy over there and a bit of a different um, environment. But in saying that, our US business has overtaken our Australian one in size wow. and volume. Are you, are you or Emma going to have to go and live there? We haven't. Um, I've spent. I spent a lot of time there, and I go backwards and forwards. But no, neither of us have any desire to live there. Really, <laughs> we love. We live in paradise. Yes. I love where we live, and we're managing to make do with our team on the ground there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Tell me, the time yeah. zones aren't fun, though. The what? But that, the time zones aren't fun. So I, I'm up. I'm up and online by five thirty most mornings just to get some crossover time with my US team on the East Coast, and so that's a little challenging. But oh well. That's life. That's life yeah. in the round towel world. Sounds like yep. you're getting. It sounds like your work life balance is pretty good. Before we started recording, you were telling me about that. We, you and I are both. Oh, well, you're you're a creek swimmer. I'm an ocean swimmer. Um, yep. And I love the fact that you're saying, if you don't mind me sharing, uh, that yeah. you, you swim with your little three year old fellow on your back uh, across across this beautiful creek near where you live. I think that's awesome. So clearly, work life balance really important to you. It is. It always has been too. I think. We had seen our family and my parents um, really work so incredibly hard their whole lives and, to be honest, later in life have a few little, um, not regrets, but just being like, had I done it again, I might have spent more time earlier doing the things I really wanted to do. Mm. And so Emma and I, classic um, Gen Y, we, yeah, we very much switch off on weekends and evenings and when I do take a holiday, I take 
four weeks a year in two lots, um, I actually go completely offline. Good on you. Yeah. Non-contactable. <laughs> yeah. It's, the business is only ever getting busier. So mm. I think that idea of thinking one day I'll, you know, switch off my phone at 5 p.m. One day I'll take Sundays off or, or you know, um, it just doesn't, it's never going to be handed to you. You have to make it work. Yeah, there is a beautiful uh, blog post, a very popular blog post written by uh, a nurse who worked with dying people. What's that called? Um, Paley, uh, I was going to say paleo, but that is not paleo. But anyway, you wow. know what I, you know what I mean. And she said she yeah. wrote a blog post called "The Five Wishes of the Dying," and mm. and one of them was because uh, she's worked with so many uh, that that none of them wish they'd worked more. So. Yeah, yeah, take it while absolutely. it's there. And I, I love what I do. So I wake yeah. up at the spring in my step, excited to come into my office. So for me, it's a, I really have to watch myself and make sure I'm spending time with my husband. Um, spending time with my my son is, is easy and I actually miss him when he goes to care, but it's often the extended family and, and the husband that <laughs> in this baby <laughs> land gets, um, gets put on the back foot. But yeah, I just make sure we have time together. We still do the things we love. We got another one coming. Yes, um, seven weeks to Good go. On Good on you. Tell me, uh, let's get back to the, uh, the, the beach people. Uh, I want to talk marketing. This is the Small Business Big Marketing Show and I am interested, what, what role does marketing play in the beach people business and what is the most successful marketing you do to attract and ret- retain customers? Oh, great question. So happy to share about this. Um, we're learning, so we're not experts. Emma and I don't have a background in marketing, but we, we do... Um, we actually have developed a really strong brand and unknown to us. We didn't realize how much we knew about that before we started the business. But um, really practical, we actually didn't spend a dollar on marketing for the first four years of the business. We um, innocently just had an authentic, natural growth, word of mouth and sharing. So, But in the last two years, um, seeing a lot of changes in Instagram and Facebook, we had to get with the program. And so the areas that we um, have the most success in, number one would be our email list. So we have a growing audience on there and that is our best form of communication with our audience. So my number one tip to anyone starting an e-commerce store would be to start gathering your customers and collecting their details as best you can from the get-go and to respect them. So to make sure what you're sending them is beautiful, it is reflective of the brand and it is authentic to the brand. Um there's a reason why every single person chose to sign up or to follow us. And so we have to make sure we're providing them with more of what they wanted in the beginning. So that's our best um, form of communication and return on investment in terms of marketing. And then all our social platforms are number two. So, um, yeah, we, and we, have a, we actually do now put some budget towards digital marketing. Um, everyone, we never wanted to. You know how when you hop on someone's website and then you hop off and then that product follows you wherever you go. We actually, I actually found that quite irritating as a consumer Hmm. and I never wanted to do that to my followers. And then when we started doing it, I realized it worked. So I I went, okay, we'll keep that going. (laughs) And then um, the third form would just be our ambassadors now influencer program, which is um, for us being really beautiful and authentic from the very beginning. We've had a beautiful range of people, interior designers, stylists, photographers, some models, all share about our product. And now we have, uh, that's a big part of our business. Um, Has that not taken a hit? Is there, like two, three years ago, I remember interviewing Jules Lund on this show who'd started Tribe and at the time he was onto something, it may well still be, uh, in that he was connecting brands with influencers. Is there not a scepticism out there these days that everyone's an influencer and everyone's, you know, hashtagging yeah, this. It, there it, is. Yes. Yeah. And I think people see through it very quickly. So we are very, very cautious with who we, we don't actually um, pay for these things. It's, it's more of a relationship we have with a small group of women who have a really engaged audience. And there's a couple of men, um, stylists, but we actually, because my sister and I are online a lot and we personally run the profiles, we know what, is real to us. I, I've seen big, big brands um, absolutely hammer this. Yes. This and uh, but it, it, it does work, but it's not my style. So what we do is probably a little more subtle and um, and authentic and real. And the com- I, I say to everyone that works with us, like if you're not using the product, don't share it. Like I want you to share it if you are using it and if it is something you're enjoying using. And so recently with our picnic basket 
um, we did a picnic basket that had a cheese board lid and um, it just went viral. It went crazy. We sold out in the first two weeks and it was one of those products we hit the nail on the head again. Mm-hmm. And the sharing around that was just so easy because everyone was using it. They were using it every weekend, all weekend and were loving it. So they were, wanted to share about it. The um, ha- ha- Just back to the influencers, how do you give value to an influencer if you're not paying them? We use... Um, well, a, a thing called, I always get the wording wrong, affiliated marketing. Mm-hmm. So they oh, yeah. get a Commission. percentage of Got all it. sales that they generate through a unique URL in their profile. Got it. So there's no, they're incredible. These women are like running little wholesale businesses online pretty much without having to carry the stock. Love it. So they, um, the, the good ones are basically a, people follow them to, to, to shop and see what they're doing and, and it's very easy to shop through their platforms. So I think they get about, not between nine and twelve percent of the sale. Nice. There's no risk for us because if they don't sell, we don't have to pay. Um, but it's wonderful for them because I feel like for the first time, influencers are getting properly rewarded because they. It, it's really, really, really hard to take beautiful imagery. It takes so for us to get one or two photos to share it takes all day. Really? <laughs> to actually, oh yeah, like to get those money shots that go viral and get shared and get likes. It's actually really time-consuming. And so these women that are, that are doing it, especially the ones that have kids and families, I feel like they do deserve compensation. Like it's not yeah. um, like they're just having coffee and snapping what they're eating, but what actually goes <laughs> on behind the scenes. Of- uh, the, I was going to then ask you about how you're making social work because for many small business owners, you know, they all get on Facebook and Insta and LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to be successful. You, you, for you... No. You've got a, you've got an interesting product. You spend a lot of time on the photography, and you create very shareable images that people you yeah. know, want to get around. Right? Is that that's how? Yes. And with yeah. email, you're saying, um, and I totally agree with you. Getting the details up front so that you can then have an ongoing conversation with your prospects and customers that is respectful. What mm. does what is what does look what it was a great email from the beach people look like? Um, we have. Uh, I mentioned before our areas we. Emma and I naturally enjoy discussing and talking about, and that's travel, home interiors, and, and beach lifestyle. So Emma actually um, grew up on a yacht living in the Pacific with my parents before I was born. So they very much, um, we are ocean girls. And so I love sharing that with our audience. So we try um, to stick to our email marketing being um, product releases and content, which covers those categories. So whether we interview someone who just renovated their home or we talk about our favorite beaches or um, how to take your baby to the beach or what we have in our beach kits at the moment, just things like that. Um, And then the rest would be like a sales promotion. Mm -hmm. So we try to keep the sales pushy promotional side small. Um, The conversation about our, what we love large and also our product launches you expect to, you'll see from us when we launch a product, um, all the things we love about that product. Awesome. Awesome. That all makes sense. Good quality content. I mean, I think there's a lot of small business owners out there again who thinks, oh, email marketing's dead. We all get spammed with email, but it's like anything. If you make it great and make yeah. it something people really want to, can't wait to get next time, then yeah. it doesn't matter how many emails you're sending. It just, it's quality. Yeah. And people don't have to follow us. They can, it's Correct. quite easy to unsubscribe Correct. if you don't want it in your inbox. I personally probably get about, 20 to 30 a day and I probably open three or four consistently because yeah. the brand, somehow they got me. They got you. I don't you. know what it is, but they got me. And that's the people we want. We want the people that, you know, get us and, and want to see us. Vic, uh, I don't normally ask this because I think five years is such a long time into the future, but you're a numbers girl. I think you've yeah. got your head around it. What does the, what do the beach, does do? What does the beach people look like uh, <laughs> in five years time in 2024? Let me just pull open my budget. No, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I have a five-year plan, Tim, so it's fine. We, um, I'll talk about the fun stuff. So the product development, um, in the next year, we're releasing our first collection of skincare. So that's our first licensing deal. So we um, are working with a pharmacist and manufacturer overseas, um, in the US, but it's taken us four years. So we have been developing a sunscreen for four years. Hmm. <laughs> And then we always got to the end and then we realised we're partnering with the Great Barrier Reef and I didn't realise that number, the number two cause of reef bleaching is sunscreen. So I had to make my sunscreen reef approved and we're, we're there now. And it's great timing because Hawaii just banned non-reef approved sunscreen from being sold on their land. So 
we our sunscreen is reef approved. That that launches next US summer. Um, we also are doing a collection of uh, hats for the first time, resort wear, and bags, beach bags. So that is all happening in the next year. Um, from there, I'd love our product development plan is moving more into home and home textiles into the kitchen because we, Emma and I, love cooking. Um, so we're going to be moving into the kitchen and then we want to touch on some larger items, so outdoor settings, poolside settings. But, yeah, it just all takes time. So that's sort of over the next year to three years of product development. Yeah, so a pretty quiet five years ahead. Step it up, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's such a great story. Um, I'm really yeah. honoured to be sharing it. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, oh, it's just pleasure. a it's a great Aussie business story, literally, like literally with yeah. the product. Two sisters from a coastal town in New South Wales. It's got everything. It's a film. Yeah. It's a film. In, <laughs> it's a film in the making. Thanks, Tim. It's nice to hear. Uh, wish you all the best for the five years ahead and for your little fellow call, y- y- girl or boy, I don't know. Uh, it's, coming a in, it's a prize. It's a prize. Seven years, seven sure. weeks. Good yeah. on you, Vic. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. That is such a great story. Can we all have a business like that, please? Hey, Victoria has kindly made available a 20% discount across the entire Beach People range. Just head over to thebeachpeople.com.au or the Beach People co.com and use discount code Tim Reed, R-E-I-D, with the number 20 or one word. You're welcome. Now, here's what grabbed my attention from our chat with Victoria. Attention grabber number one, the story of how Victoria got a truck license so she could drive to the docks and pick up her stock is such a great reminder of just how passionate and motivated and a little cray-cray us small business owners are. I love hearing those little stories. Michael Klim, Olympic swimmer Michael Klim, when I interviewed him on this show many years ago, talks about driving stock of his milk product range. It's his skincare range called Milk, Klim spelled backwards. Driving it and dropping it off at Myers and David Jones and pharmacies. Love it. Roll the sleeves up. Doesn't matter who you are. Tension grabber number two. I love how Victoria doesn't have a background in marketing, but has such a strong passion for it. Now, if you're not enjoying your marketing, then hand it off to someone who does. (laughs) Or listen to the entire back catalogue of this show, of which there are 464 episodes and counting. But I'm guessing you probably love marketing if you're listening to this show. Well, hang on, let me, does that work? Yeah. Or maybe you don't like marketing, that's why you listen to it. Either way, just, it's so important. You know that. It's like the backbone. It's the oxygen of business, along with cash flow. Attention grabber number three, I love the fact that the girls have a watch list with 80 brands on it who may potentially steal their ideas. Look, good on them. They don't spend, you know, they don't wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking about the list. Good to have it. I remember that UK jeweller we interviewed a few weeks ago who's got 30 other jewellers in the street in which he operates. He doesn't give a damn about his competition. Um, Two schools of thought, but good on them for having that watch list. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time in that busy diary of yours and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, indeedly doodly. It is that time of the episode where we reward another motivated listener, maybe you, for taking action. It can only be you if you've written in. I'll explain that later. Today's winner is... Dan McQuillan of Kalosh, a prestige real estate agent on the Gold Coast. Hope I'm saying that correctly. K-O-L-L-O-S-C-H-E. Hey, Dan, love your work. Here's what Dan has done. Here's the ideas that Dan has implemented in order to win this segment this week. He says, hey, Timbo. My name is Dan. I know that. And I'm the marketing manager for a luxury real estate agency based in Queensland. Whilst I can't remember the exact episode that inspired it, I wanted to share something that we have been doing. We have a business unit that looks after the marketing collateral for our properties, comprising a videographer, graphic designer, a copywriter, social media manager, trainer, and photographer. That's an awesome business unit. I'd like one of those too. We have started an initiative to provide a package comprising of videos, photos, copywriting, social media training, design services, etc., 
to other businesses. All up, the cost to the businesses if they were to go out and engage a creative agency would be upwards of five to $10,000. Absolutely true, probably more. Our staff are all on salaries, so during quiet times, this is at no extra expense to us. In exchange for these services, we would ask for something of value in return, a florist to provide flowers for our open homes and settlement gifts, local craft distilleries and wineries for bottles of alcohol, for events and gifts, restaurant gift vouchers, etc. We always make their brand front and centre if they provide us with anything, including their business cards and or flyers. That's awesome great way to develop partnerships. Forging those relationships, he goes on to say, also means that we are able to create an informal referral network, making it a truly win-win for everyone. Great idea, Dan. He just finishes by saying, I wanted to urge small business owners to look after each other, couldn't agree more, and work together for the benefit of both their businesses and customers and be creative about how they do it. It's possible to make a big impact on someone else's business for just a few hours of your or your staff's time that is still beneficial to your business as well. Dan, you are thinking, mate. You are listening. You're taking action. And as a result, you're winning, not only for you, the business that you're working for, but uh, on the Monster Prize draw. Thanks, buddy. Uh, You win. A $50 voucher for the beach people. Get around him, mate. A full range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits, that's valued at over 500 bucks. A $50 Sendal voucher, 100 bucks worth of tradies undies, $50 of Santa and Abel PJs, $75 City Larder voucher, a My DNA test kit, that's worth 99 bucks, 75 bucks to spend at snottynoses.com. Hope you've got a young kid or a runny nose. Promotion on this show, uh, which you just got, and a backlink in the show notes, which Google love. Well done, Dan. Uh, everyone else, just send me an email, tim at timreid.com.au. Tell me one idea that you've implemented by listening to this show and what impact it's had on your business. Keep it to 100 words. I have a very t- short attention span. Dan went longer. That's okay. I'll deal with it. If I read it out on air, you win. Now, I've been getting a number of questions being sent to me from you beautiful, beautiful listeners. Uh, They're piling up, so I thought I'd start to tackle them in upcoming episodes. This one is from Stuart Dudine of alchemywines.com, A-L-K-I-M-I, wines.com. Stu says, hey, Timbo, I'm looking to get on out of my own and lease a facility to make my wine. At the moment, I have a pretty good arrangement where I pay to produce my wine by volume. If I lease my own facility, I'm taking a big jump in expenses. The issue is I currently can't justify the jump in my head, nor can my sales. I'm prepared to go all in, but I'm tossing up whether it's a good idea. I was listening to one of your episodes tonight and wondered if you've interviewed someone who took the plunge and trusted themselves to make it work. Thanks, Heap, Stuart. Well, Stu, it sounds like you're ready to go, mate. It sounds like you are just looking for the courage. Now, cash flow is everything. So my advice is to you is, you know, dependent on you can still put food on the table and you're not going to starve yourself and or your family then it's, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're ready in your head. And I think so much of marketing and business is mindset. All the other ducks can line up in terms of logistics and equipment, plant and equipment, all that stuff. But you've got to be 110% comfortable in your head. So my uh, answer to your question is three episodes come to mind, Stu. Episode, I mean, I'll put these links in the show note over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 464. But the interview I did with Bali entrepreneur Janet Deneef, she does not plan. She just goes for it. She had a bit of financial backing, albeit, but she is one of those entrepreneurs who feels the idea and has a crack. That was episode 447. Um, another episode is with Philip Cooch, who is the donut entrepreneur. We all love donuts. Phil had no choice but to go all in because his old man got sick. His old man bought a bakery before it opened, got sick, and Philip had to take over. Now, Philip was studying full-time, right? And he's trying to get a business off the ground in the bakery. A very, very inspiring episode. That's episode 441. And the other one is with Roast. I loved this interview with Roast Chicken Entrepreneur Wally Corley. That was episode 384. A a bit of a mind-blowing story. Uh, He was sitting around his parents' kitchen table one Christmas day in tears. His parents told him that they'd have to close the second-generation roast chicken shop. 
Wally said, you're not going to close it. <laughs> I'll stop eating all the profits, which he was doing, and subsequently um, went off and went all in, basically. So there's three great episodes there. As I said, I'll put a link in the show notes to them, Stu. At the end of the day, Stu, you can do all the planning in the world, and maybe that's a good thing. Probably is. But I don't like planning. If you're passionate about your product, love what you do, and have a clear vision for the future of it, then I suggest giving some serious consideration to leaning in and having a red hot crack. That brings us almost, almost to the end of episode 464. You'll find plenty more on the podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive of episodes is over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Next episode, we meet a naturopath who's opted for a very disruptive business model. In fact, it's actually a world first. If you're getting value from listening, please let other business owners know about this podcast, which is presented by me, Timbo Reid, and cleverly pulled together by, I've got to say, the very frank team at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>